Let's take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Psalm 59 for just a few moments. And we're going to turn back and get a little bit of a, uh, an overview of really what is taking place here. As you go to Psalm 59 and you hold your place there, you can go ahead and get your place in 1 Samuel chapter number 19 as well. But I want you to see some things that are taking place in Psalm 59 as we pick back up in our series of the Psalms and walking through. We started a couple of years ago in Psalm 1. And have been walking through, and then we went over to Psalm 119 for a t- period of time and walked through the entire book of Psalm 119 and what a blessing that, that Psalm was. And now we have come back, uh, over the last couple of months and we are back to Psalm 59 this evening. And I want you just for a few moments, as you hold your place in 1 Samuel, look with me in Psalm 59 at a couple of statements. I want you to kind of see some of this because here in a few moments in 1 Samuel chapter number 19, you're going to be familiar or get familiar rather with this Psalm because the events that are taking place in 1 Samuel chapter number 19 are now given a little bit of insight. As you read Psalm 59, you understand David's perspective of what is taking place in 1 Samuel 19. Notice these statements, if you would, because these three, or rather two statements, define what you're going to really get a view of taking place in 1 Samuel 19. Notice this statement that is found in verse number 1. Deliver me. From mine enemies, oh my God. And then he goes on and says, defend me from them that rise up against me. Verse number two, he starts off again and he says, deliver me. Now here in a few moments, we're going to walk through this entire psalm, but you see the statement in verse number one, you see deliver me and then you see defend me. And we have to ask ourselves the question concerning what what is taking place here. Why is he needing deliverance, number one, and why is he needing defense? As you go and you look at this psalm, you see some strong statements. Notice, if you would, for this moment, you hear or you see, rather, the words, mine enemies. You see that it says, them that rise up against me. Verse number two says, workers of iniquity. It goes on and uses the term, bloody men. Verse number three, it says, for lo, they lie and wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me. It goes on and says, not for my transgression nor my sin, O Lord. Verse four, they run and prepare themselves. Verse number six, they run or they return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Verse number seven, behold, they belch out with their mouths. Swords are in their lips. As you continue reading, you take a, a brief little uh, a visit to verse number 10, and the Bible says, The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. He then goes on in verse number 11, and you begin to see that deliverance taking place. You see that it says, Slay them not. He then says, Scatter them by thy power. He says, Bring them down. He says, For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride for cursing and lying which speak. Verse 13, consume them in wrath, consume them. Verse number 14, and at evening let them return and let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. So those two statements that he makes in verse number one, deliver me from my enemies. And he says, defend me from them that rise up against me. You begin to ask the question, which you will see here in a few moments, that is taking place in First Samuel chapter number 19. But I love this psalm because it starts out once again with David crying out and calling unto the Lord, deliver me and defend me. Then verse number 16, he says this, but I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O oh, my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. 
I love, there's, there's a lot of what you would say, principles or uh, just some truths that as you walk through Psalm 59, you see that David in the middle of that here in a few moments is going to make much of his situation, but in the midst of his situation, he's going to recognize that he's not the only one going through something. He wants the Lord to not only deal with his situation, but the situation of others as well. And that is something that sometimes is hard in the Christian life, especially whenever we have things that are going on, we we kind of have tunnel vision at times. We don't want to acknowledge the, 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 the issues of life that other people are facing, whatever the case might be, and we only look at our problems. But David begins to cry out and pray for others as well. It's a very fascinating thing that you're going to see here in a few moments. Go with me, if you would, now to 1 Samuel chapter number 19. I want you to see this. In verse number 11, as you walk to verse number 11 on down to verse number 17, you're going to see that, that David here is on the run once again. As he's on the run, his, his life at this point has been like a roller coaster. It's been up and down, up and down. On the run, he's gone from praise and honor to persecution and hatred of Saul. And Saul was at one point in time praising David. Now he hates David. He's trying to kill David. Jonathan is in the scenes. And you begin to see David's wife here. and Different things taking place. But once again, in the midst of what is going on here, David offers some insight in Psalm 59 to what the events are taking place here. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. Saul also sent men messengers under David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michal let David down through the window. He went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's uh, hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, he said, He is sick. Saul sent messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come, and behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michal, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said unto me, Let me go. Why should I kill thee? So David fled and escaped. As you walk through these verses, you begin to realize in verse number 11 that there was a, a watching that was taking place. As you lay the groundwork for Psalm 59, the Bible says Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him. Now, as you see the watching that is taking place, the, the spies were there to kill David. You know this because in verse number 11, the Bible says, again, to slay him in the morning. And so you begin to realize that there is a watching that is going on. And there's a, a waiting for just one little slip up, a waiting for just one moment to where he could attack, where they could attack rather. It reminds us of First Peter, if you would, in 5.8 where the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. There are, there are some things that I picked up whenever I was growing up in a military home, and there are certain things that I remember. There were, there were times whenever my stepfather would go away for training, he'd come back and he would, you know, do some of those, those practices concerning the wrestling moves and the fighting moves and the maneuvers and all that, and some of those things were fun to take part in. And then there were some things that you, you kind of pick up on without even realizing it. And even to this day, there are some things, if, if me and Miss Kelly are out and we go into a restaurant, one of the things that I picked up from my stepfather was that I would always sit in such a way where I could see the entryway of someone walking in. Naturally just pick that up, and, and I remember certain things that you pick up whenever you're growing up in homes, and you, you say, well, I got that. Why do you do that? Well, it's just something I kind of picked up on. 
But then you begin to realize that some of these things are great principles to instill in the Christian life as well. To be on the watch, to always be ready, to always be looking to make sure that you're not slipping up, that you're not just letting your guard down because the devil doesn't need much to get into your life. He doesn't need much to get into your home. He doesn't need much to, to ruin your life or your children's life or your spouse's life or your friend's life. He doesn't need much to, to kill a church. He doesn't need much. Just a little slip up here. And so the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 eight, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, just recently, Miss Kelly and I have had to have some conversations that, you know, you, you, you wish you really just didn't have to have, such as, you know, concerning our children and, and television and certain things like that, because the world is getting worse and worse. And it sometimes is not necessarily always the TV show that they're watching, but it's the commercials. You say, man, we live in a sick world. Just the other day, we were watching a television show, and it was just a, one of those HGTV fixer-upper or whatever it was, and it was on. And uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Everybody loves Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? Except the husbands, when their wife looks at them and says, we should do that in our house, right? But... We're sitting there, and next thing we know, you know, the kids are dialed into this because Jackson wants to be a builder one day, and he loves watching this type of stuff. And the next thing we know, a commercial comes on. And for a minute and a half, it is a commercial that is filled with just constant homosexuality. And we're oblivious to that for a few seconds because it's a commercial. And then all of a sudden, the kids start noticing those things. They say, ew. And you look up, and it's just a minute and a half of that filth. See, we have to be very careful of these things, always on guard, always paying attention, always on the lookout, making sure. Notice what is going on here in verse number 11. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. You see the watching of David that is taking place in this chapter right here. But then you also see the warning right here. As the Bible says again that his wife had told him, saying, If thou save not thyself thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt shall be slain. So Michal let David down through a window. And so there's some, some advice that is taken right here. And at this very moment, she is saying, run, David, run. As if he hasn't already been on the run. As if he hasn't already been doing these things. But it is an act now or perish moment within David's life. You know, there, there are times within our lives where we have to make a decision in, in the Christian life, even sometimes it's something that, that very is, is very small or very, uh, very unimportant, if you were to say it that way, or unimportant, but you still have to make the decision. But then there's the great and great decisions. The, the, the vital decisions, if you would. Am I going to allow my children to do this? Well, if you do, it might be something that you will look back and say, I regret. As small as, Letting your children watch certain things just because they've driven you crazy all day. You say, oh, I just need something. I need a break. Well, be careful. Even in our own lives, sometimes you let your guard down and you don't take the, the counsel that is given. And it is a decision that you make or rather you don't make. It comes back to haunt you. This was a decision in David's life where he had to make. And it was not really a hard one if you really think about it. But at the same time... The Bible says, so Michal let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. Notice with me, not only that, but in verse number 11, you see the Bible says to watch him and to slay him in the morning. But then in verse number 15, the Bible says, and Saul sent messengers again to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. So you see not only the watching of David going on by Saul and his messengers, but you also see the warning here in this portion of scripture. And now you see Saul's wickedness. The Bible says, bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. 
You begin to think about the wickedness that is going on and Saul's heart jealousy creeping up once again. And you're going to see that here in just a little while because all of a sudden in verse number 16, you see Saul whining. The Bible says, and when the messengers were come and behold, there was an image in the bed and a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michal, why hast thou deceived me so? And sent away mine enemy that he has escaped. And Michal answered Saul, he said unto me, let me go. Why should I kill thee? So you begin to see Saul whining here. Saul was complaining to Michal when he could not kill David. And the, the messengers learn of the deception here. And he's asking why you're deceiving. And so he thought that he was going to deceive David. But in reality, it turned on him. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 59 here in just a little while, you're going to see at the end of that psalm that David begins to cry out to the Lord. And as he is crying out to the Lord, the same things that the messengers and the wickedness that was going on that they were trying to do to David. David begins to cry out to the Lord and says, let them come as dogs. Let it turn on them, if you would. Lord, you're going to deal with them. And so, Lord, as they have been coming as dogs at me, Lord, may you turn it back on them. Let them come as dogs and let them be confused in the matter. And so all of this is laying groundwork for what David now is going to express in Psalm 59. So let's look, if you would, take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm 59 this evening as we see some things that I pray will be a help to you concerning this psalm tonight. The Bible says, deliver me from my enemies. Oh, my God, defend me from them that rise up against me. Notice with me, number one, David's danger here. In verses one through nine, you're going to begin to see some strong statements that are seen. And David is laying out all of what is going on here. As a matter of fact, right above verse number one, it probably has a little inscription there that begins to say to the chief musician. And it goes on at the very end. It says, when Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. And so he says these words, deliver me from my enemies. Oh my God, defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. And notice with me, if you would, David's danger here. David begins to cry out. You're going to see some cries along these verses, verses one through nine. You'll see multiple cries. The first cry you see is the cry for deliverance. As he says, deliver me from my enemies. Oh my God. He is crying out for deliverance right here. This is the theme of this supplication of this psalm right here. He is crying out to God to take matters into his own hand. And as you walk through the psalm, you're going to begin to realize that David begins to say in verse number 8, as he kind of lets everything settle back down. He cries out to the Lord for deliverance. But then in verse number 8, it's as though he encourages himself. And he says, but thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision because of his strength will I wait upon thee for God is my defense. Many of David's Psalms, as a matter of fact, this is what he does. He begins to cry out to the Lord, but then in the midst of him crying out, let me illustrate it. This is what we do oftentimes too, and this is a great thing. We find ourselves in a hard spot. We find ourselves in a, a difficult place in our lives. And, and in the midst of us crying out to the Lord to take matters into his own hand, to maybe supply concerning provision or to supply concerning the need or supply concerning the problem or whatever the, take, the, play, uh, the problem might be within our lives. In the midst of us crying out to God, we're reminded that God's always been faithful. He's never failed us. And so in the midst of that prayer, sometimes you begin to cry out to the Lord. And as you're crying out for the Lord to take care of this situation, the Holy Spirit begins to remind you in the midst of your prayer that he's taking care of this situation and this situation and this situation. And so all of a sudden, now that prayer has not turned into just crying out to the Lord for take, to take care of it. But now you've got a confidence about yourself. And it's not a confidence about you, but it's a confidence about your God. And so in verse number eight, he says, but thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. 
And thou shalt have all the heathen in derision because of his strength. Will I wait upon thee for God is my defense. As I began to read this psalm and when it came to verse number eight, a couple of nights ago, we were wrestling and me and the, the, the three, all three of the kids were wrestling and I was being very gentle with, uh, uh, Charlie and Holly and Jackson. They don't know anything about gentleness because I'm just rough with them usually and we just wrestle and I can't remember how it happened. I think I had Jackson by his, his legs and I was swinging him around. As I was swinging him around, his elbow caught Holly right in the head and you just heard it. And she began to cry, but then she realized in the midst of her crying how much fun she was having. And so it started out like this, where she was crying, <laughs> and then it turned into a laugh. You know you know how kids do that sometimes, where they're trying not to cry, but it's kind of a cry, and you can't figure out if it's a laugh or a cry. And so now it's it's her laughing about it. So she started out, I mean, it, big old tears coming out, and then she starts laughing in the midst of all of it, because she's trying to laugh the pain away. And so she's holding, it got a big old red mark right here, she's laughing the pain away. And as you read Psalm 59, it's as though the psalmist David here is saying, Deliver me from my enemies. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And then in verse number 8, it's as though he begins to laugh. But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. It's as though he gets a little, a little chuckle about the situation. They're coming at me, but they don't know my God. They don't know how faithful he's been. They don't know that he is the God of all gods, that he can take care of them. And so in the midst of all of this, he's crying out. And as he's crying out for deliverance, all the way down to verse number 7, you see him crying out for deliverance. You see him crying out for defense. And then at verse number 8, as though he reminds himself, wait a second. Lord, why, why am I concerned about this? Why am I, why am I worried about them? I've got you. And in the midst of that, it's as though he reminds himself that didn't God just anoint him as the next king? Didn't God already remind him that he was going to take care of him? You know, in our own lives sometimes, we we just need to remind ourselves that God is still God. He hasn't failed. He's not sitting on the sidelines saying, well, I'm kind of, you know, unaware of the circumstances of your life and unaware of the circumstances of the world. No, he's aware of all this. And sometimes we get so concerned with all this and we need to remind ourselves. And so we do ask ourselves for just a moment as he is crying out for defense right here. What is he having? Why is he needing this defense? Well, we do need to understand some of these strong statements that are found in verse number one on down. Notice these words, if you would, for this moment. The word mine enemies. You begin to think about this statement right here. He says, deliver me from mine enemies. This is the power of influence here. Some of these individuals, as you walk through the life of David, these were some people that were once friends of his. But now Saul has turned them against David. You imagine for just a moment the heartbreaking season that David went through when all of a sudden some of his friends began to turn on him because Saul had turned them. And so this statement, my enemy speaks of that. His influence had turned his friends against David. But then he goes on and says the word, them that rise up against me. This involves a a good deal of plotting and plotting about how to capture David, if you would. Imagine every single day of your life needing to wake up and try to figure out how am I going to live today? I mean, every day of your life, you're, you're thinking, you know, all I wanted to do was do good. And Saul, I, I'm not your enemy. I'm trying to, to be a help to you. And you're on the run constantly away from this man who is trying to kill you. Every single day, thinking about this statement, them that rise up against me. And you've done nothing. All you wanted to be is be a faithful laborer, if you would. He uses the word workers of iniquity. This is speaking of how evil these men were. 
Now, in this time and in David's life, these were not just ordinary people. These were very evil men. They, these were very dangerous men. He understood what they could do. He goes on and uses the statement, bloody men. This indicates, again, those that were willing to kill him. He says, deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. So we ask that question, what is he needing some saving from? Each of these, the enemies, them that rise up against him, workers of iniquity, bloody men. These are not just, you know, just random people. But then we ask the question, why? Notice this statement in verse number three. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin. O Lord, they run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Notice these statements. The word lie and wait, again, speaks of the plotted trap that they had in David's life. In verse number one, the Bible reminds us as he says, deliver me and defend me. As you go back to verse, uh, verses 11 through 17 of 1 Samuel chapter number 19, the Bible reminds us that they were outside of his house. And David had to make a quick decision. Run, David, run. You have to make this decision right now. It's not something you can think on. You need to act now. So this statement, lie and wait, is going all the way back to that pastor scripture and reminding us that these were individuals who had plotted this. And they were mighty, the Bible reminds us in this portion of scripture. This speaks of how powerful they were. The word gathered against me, it speaks of the king and his men, that they were against David. They were trying to get David. The Bible reminds us right here in this passage of Scripture, not for my transgression nor for my sin, that David was also being falsely accused of some things. There are times in our own lives where we've been falsely accused of things, and you just have to look at it, and you have to take it at face value. I was looking at, you know, listening to something just the other day, and I remember a couple of years ago, something that helped me, because criticism comes in all of our lives, and sometime you're going to get criticized. If you're not getting criticized, then you're probably not doing anything. And I remember hearing this concerning criticism, and, and the statement was made, if, if those who are criticizing you are people that you would never take any counsel from in the first place, then why are you upset about it? It's a powerful statement. Because so many of us, we get so worked up about somebody that has said something about us, and then you have to take a step back and you say, well, I don't care about what they have to say anyways. But you've worked yourself up, you've thought about it, you've lost sleep over it, but at the end of the day, you wouldn't have a conversation with them and go to them for counsel anyways. And there are times in our lives whenever we begin to get criticized, but then there's the other side of it. And this is a reality that criticism isn't always a bad thing. You see, sometimes we need to take criticism and we need to ask ourselves, is that fair criticism? Do I need to, to take a look at this? Do I need to evaluate this? Is this fair? And sometimes criticism is a good thing. I remember whenever uh, Miss Kelly had criticized me uh, about some things we were dating at the time and, and she had called me cocky a few times and I, you know, just looked at her like she was crazy. Like, how dare you call me cocky because I was cocky? The Lord used her to get my attention to remind me, hey, you're nothing. You're just you're just a, a, another ordinary person. You're nothing. You don't need to be so cocky about those things. I had to get on to Jackson just the other night after we got done uh, playing basketball because Jackson hit a shot and he w- ran around the court like a loony, you know, pointing his hand like he was number one. I said, dude, I will, I will, you will never score on me. Let me humble you for a few minutes, you know, because he's just walking around. Hey, Noah, I hit that on you. I hit that shot on you. Noah, what are you going to do? But, you know, I'm like, dude, easy now. You have to be so cocky. Humbling, you know, you think about criticism, though, and criticism sometimes is fair. But in this case, he says these words. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. And then he says this statement, they run 
and prepare themselves. So you ask the question, what is he running from? But then you ask the question, why is he? Does he have a reason to run? He does. But in the midst of all of that, he reminds himself in verse number six, he says, they return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go around about the city. And behold, they belch out with their mouths. Swords are in their lips. As he is making this statement, he's reminding us here of the wickedness of them as he is crying about, uh, about the concern that he has. They run and prepare themselves without fault. Awake to help me and behold. So he's concerned about this, but now he's controlled by this. That is something that we need to take recognition of in our own lives whenever a matter that is out of our control is controlling us. You ever experienced that in your own life where you have no way of changing the outcome, yet it's controlled you? It's controlled your every action. It's controlled your every thought. It's controlled your every uh, uh, statement that you make. It's controlled everything about your life. And you have no way of controlling the situation itself. I remember whenever we were playing basketball in college, Coach Hickman pulled us to the side, and he would tell us oftentimes, he said, you can't always control the outcome, but you can control how you handle the outcome. And that is a true statement. I've used that many times. I've reminded myself because sometimes at the end of the day, let's just be honest, things don't always go our way, right? But in the midst of this, David is being controlled by this. And so he goes on as he is crying out for some of this. But then he says, as he is making the statement, Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen, not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. So in the midst of all of this right here, he's controlled, he's recognized it, he's concerned, he's recognized it, he's crying out for defense and deliverance. He's recognized all of that, but then in verse number 5, he pauses for just a few moments and he reminds himself of this, that the Lord, he is Jehovah. That he is the Lord of hosts, that he is the Elohim of Israel, that he is Jehovah of hosts, he is the power, he is the God of Israel, the mighty God. He is reminding himself of all of that, and he pauses for a few moments and recognizes that he's not the only one in a situation like this. So he says these words, Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen, not just the heathen that are after him, but all those that are doing corrupt things in general. And so he pauses and he begins to cry out and he asks the Lord to to address this matter for those who are coming after him, but also all the heathen that are doing all the wrong to so many people. In verse number six, he says, they return at evening, they make a noise like a dog. Now, this is not talking about the dogs that we have at home. It's speaking of a dog like a beast, if you would. Those that are ready to devour you. Those that are ready to take your life, if you would. The Bible says, and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouths. Swords are in their lips. For who say they doth hear? So, who's going to do anything about this? That's what the heathen are saying. And all of a sudden, as David is reminding himself, they're saying, who's going to do something? Who's going to protect you, David? Who's going to take care of this? You don't have anyone. He reminds himself and he says, but thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision because of his strength. Will I wait upon thee? For God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. 
And so as he is walking through and he is beginning to cry out for all this, he begins to cry out concerning their consistency and what they do. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog. They belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. All of that is taking place. And he is crying out to the Lord to take care of them. But in the midst of all of that, he reminds himself that God has never failed him and God is incapable of failing him. And God will take care of all the heathen. And so now we see him transition his thoughts. He was crying out for deliverance. He was recognizing his danger. But number two, if you would, we see in David's deliverance. David's deliverance is found as you walk through, the Bible says in verse number 11. Now, some of these things are very interesting that David's going to say. Because some of these things David has had to yield to the Lord. And the spiritual matter begins to take place in David's life. But if we're not careful, we don't think spiritually concerning these things. Let's be honest for just a moment. If someone does us wrong, we want them to be done wrong, right? The last thing that we want to do is bless those that are our enemies or bless those that do us wrong. You know, and you begin to think about what David is experiencing right now. And in David's deliverance, you're going to see some things go on in David's life. And it takes a turn, if you would. Because verse 8 on down to the end, David begins to change his way of thinking. In verses 1 on down he to verse number 7, he is crying out. He's crying out because he's controlled by some things. He's concerned by some things. He's seen consistency in their lives, and they're trying to kill him. He's asking the Lord for deliverance. He's asking the Lord to defend him. But then he begins to remind himself that God has always been faithful, and it takes a turn. He says, the God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon my enemies. And then he says these words in verse number 11, slay them not. Very interesting. Because in verses 1 on down to verse number 7, they're trying to kill him. They want his life. They're waiting to slay him. As a matter of fact, Saul has told them, hey, bring him so I can kill him in the bed. All of that is taking place. But notice what David begins to say right here. Because he says this, slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. You see, the word right here, prevent, if you would, because the Bible says, slay them not, lest my people forget, scatter them by thy power, bring them down, O Lord, our shield. As you go all the way back to verse number 10, right at the end of that statement, the God of my my mercy says, prevent. That word prevent speaks, if you would, to go before, to proceed, if you would. And God's always, in the midst of all of the difficulties, one of the things we have to remind ourselves is that when we're in the difficulty, God's already before us. He's already ahead of us. Nothing's too difficult for God. So you're finding yourself in a difficult situation, but God's already on the other side of that difficult situation. It reminds me of a couple of years ago when we were talking about prayer and how oftentimes we're in the midst of prayer and we're praying and we're right here and the answer's over there and God's already got the answer. He's already got the situation taken care of. The struggle that we find oftentimes is to continue praying it through. Continue praying it through. Brother John and I were talking before the service, and we were talking about prayer for just a few moments. And how the subject matter of prayer and amen, if you would. Amen is saying, I agree. Amen is saying, thy will be done. Amen is saying, okay, we we understand. I yield, if you would. But how many times in the midst of our own prayer life have we said amen, but we still don't agree with God? 
How many times have we said amen, but we still disagree with how God has handled the situation? We disagree with what God is allowing to take place. We disagree because God hasn't cared the way we thought he would care. But at the end of the day, we haven't yielded those things. You see, sometimes we say amen, but we don't truly say amen in the regard of, I agree, Lord, thy will be done. We say amen in such a way where we're asking and pleading with God to agree with us on what we want the outcome to be. And in David's life right here, he goes on and he has to yield some things right here to the Lord. He says, the God of my mercy. So he's recognized God's mercy. He says, shall prevent. God shall go before. God shall take care of this situation. And he uses these words, slay them not. So it's an awkward confidence in, in some of what David is about to say. But now his request is very, very awkward. Slay them not. Why does he slay, slay them not? Lest my people forget. It was said, the spiritual says it needs difficulties and trials to develop character. The spiritual self says, Lord, I understand that trials are going to come my way. I understand that character needs to be dealt. I understand that, that, that problems need to be resolved. You're going to bring me through those problems. You're going to train me. You're going to teach me some things. Lord, I understand that the spiritual side is understanding that all of these things will develop me and mold me and shape me. But the flesh does not want the troubles and trials. As a matter of fact, the flesh is not interested at all in developing the character. Because we always want the easy way out. We're seeing this even in just the practical things. You're seeing this in uh, sports where there's a transfer portal and now coaches are having to lose players because the players aren't getting to start the first moment. And you're seeing that now where we're growing up and seeing a generation of young people that if they, they, if they don't like the, 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 the things that are going on at work or if they haven't gotten a raise in X amount of days, if they haven't gotten a promotion in X amount of days, they're just going to quit. They're not going to work their way through. We've seen a very entitlement and mentality within our society. We're seeing that all across this nation where people think that they deserve more than what they're given. And in this case right here, he says these words, slay them not, lest my people forget. And so he's having to yield some things to the Lord. He's recognizing now, Lord, I'm going to yield this to you because I've already recognized your mercy. I've already recognized you're going to take care of this. And so, Lord, now I'm yielding this to you because, Lord, I want you to develop me. And he's reminded himself in the midst of this psalm that God is still God. He says these words, scatter them by thy power. The word scatter speaks of to destroy the enemy's strength and effectiveness. You see, that's our God. He can do those things. He says, bring them down, O Lord, our shield. The statement, bring them down, speaks of to subdue the enemy, if you would. But to put them under God's power and not let them become proud and arrogant in their evil. I remember the, the, the testimony of a preacher. I've shared this to you before, but the, there was a couple of uh, street preachers who were on the side of the road or on the side of the street and they were preaching and one of the, the preachers began to get up and the other one was brought along with him to, to share his testimony and to preach and the, the gentleman was beginning to talk and all of a sudden this man began to dance around him and mock him and make fun of him and, and began to chant in his face and all these many things and this man began to, to get drunk in and he, he began to fall over and he began to stumble around and, and people were looking at this man and just wondering what in the world is going on and at that moment the evil that that man was trying to do, the ruckus that he was causing, at that very moment, the preacher looked over at the other gentleman and began to, to call him over. He said, begin to testify. And the man began to stand up and he said, I was once this man. I was a drunk and I was acting a fool. and I was living in sin. And I was doing all of these things until God changed my life. 
You see, the evil that is in our world, sometimes we look at the world and we look at the conditions of the world. We look at those who hate God and we think that they're winning the battle. Can I remind you as you go to the book of Revelation, we're already victors. You don't have to worry about that any longer. God's going to take care of all of that. The Bible says, bring them down, subdue them if you would. But then he says, for their sin of their mouth and their words of the lips, let them even be taken in their pride. The word translated taken speaks of to trap or to ensnare by trapping. Consume them in wrath. Consume them. This is speaking of them being devastated, if you would. Because God will. The statement, let them know that God ruleth in Jacob under the ends of the earth. The punishment is going to be very instructive. That I am God. You see, and sometimes we get so caught up in some of these things. David's reminding himself of all of what is going on here. He's not, want, he's not concerned about this. As they make the statement in verse 14, in the evening, let them return and let them make a noise like a dog. Now he is saying confidently, let them return. Let them come back. The punishment is going to take care. It's going to be fine. And so then you come to David praising the Lord in verse number 16. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing, for God is my defense and the God of my mercy. You see, all of this right here is so powerful leading up to these two statements in verse number 16. I will sing of thy power, but notice what he goes on to say. Yea, I will sing aloud. David is saying right here, not only is he going to praise the Lord, but he's going to praise the Lord outwardly. He's not going to hold it to himself. The whole world and all those around him are going to recognize that he serves God and he worships God and he praises God and he's not ashamed to. You see, when you're given the opportunities to come through some of the darkest and difficult seasons in your own life, one of the greatest things that you can do as a child of God is praise God aloud. Testify of the goodness of God. Testify of his grace. As you go back to First Samuel seventeen, or in verse number nine, First Samuel nineteen, verse eleven through seventeen, you begin to see all of the events taking place. But now you get David's perspective in Psalm fifty nine, and David begins to say the same things that we're seeing lived out in First Samuel nineteen. But we did not see some of the things concerning him praising. He offers all of the insight, and he says, "Oh, I'm going to praise the Lord because God is still God. He is the God of my defense. I'm going to praise Him aloud." Can I encourage you, as you walk through some of the Psalms, you begin to see within David's life and many other Psalms, these statements, deliver me or defend me. You begin to realize that he uses the statement, mine enemies in many of these, but they always somehow turn to once again, the psalmist praising God. That's why I love Psalm 107 when he begins to ask the question multiple times, oh, basically would someone just praise the Lord? Would you just praise the Lord? And if you ever have a question, Lord, what can I praise you about? I guarantee you, pause for a few moments and let the Holy Spirit lead you. You'll have a lot to praise Him for.